2 Kings chapter 2. Chapter 22, please. Just a couple of verses there and a mere launching pad of where God has directed me to be. I prepared for this day for two weeks, this morning for two weeks, and grinded out what I knew was a great word from the Lord and felt like this was the right thing. And I went to watch Nico play basketball. God loved that team. You know something's wrong when the kids are running down excited because they just scored a touchdown. third of them are wondering what to do with their hands I left there for several reasons first because it was painful secondly because I needed the mind of God and this thing was making me angry then from there I was in the office and prayed and wrote and studied and read and left and got home last night was very disturbed and then the Lord woke me up at five in the morning I put my clothes on and came to the office because what I had prepared was not what he wanted to say so I have a very good sermon I'm willing to sell on eBay for unused. And this is what the Lord spoke to me this morning. 2 Kings chapter 22, verses 1 and 2. What, what is that? What is the line? You may build houses great and small. Scott, it's uh, work on that line, Scott. I know that. Coming back to you. Josiah was eight years old when he began to reign, and he reigned 31 years in Jerusalem. His mother's name was Jedida, the daughter of Adiah of Boscath. He did what was right in the sight of the Lord. He walked in all the way of David, his father, of course. We know that David wasn't his father. It's, he's in the lineage, we think, but we're talking decades and decades, a couple centuries prior, but there's no connecting point. So the, the last one that he could actually connect to was David. He turned not, this is, a, this is a great line, he turned not aside to the right hand or to the left. Amen. Everybody say amen. I'm grateful that you're here. We need the Lord to visit us now. And I'll cast this bread on the water. Everybody said in Jesus' name. Now I know that you've already spoken to neighbors, but I'd like you to say one nice 
word of significance to someone before you're seated that's somewhere close by you and then you may be seated just say you got to say something kind a word of significance thank you Do you know? Do you know it? Uh, grab. Okay, Scotty, go. Uh, 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 December. Do you have a microphone? Okay. Is this the old? Do you have a microphone? Do you want this word? You want this? These lyrics? Come up here with me. Come up here with me. Oh my God. Stop dilly-dallying around. Come on, we have business to do here. This is the old-timers choir. Sorry. I'm sorry. I shouldn't have said that. Who who joins us? You need glasses? Here, look at this. Try those. My God, look, here's the whole sermon right there. Just go for it. Duffy, come up here. Are you in the choir, Duffy? Come up here. Can he have a microphone? Nobody even know. I don't even know if we remember this choir. Heidi sang the lead. Oh, that's very small. Okay, put, I'm gonna put it right in the. Don't tell me what to do. I'm. You're not. You got. Tell Franklin. You don't come up here and tell me. Remember that? Remember that? You may build. Say, Scott, it's so low for me. Do you know this? Okay, sing a little bit. Okay, here we go. You may build. That's now it's high, Scott. It's too high. Old timers. <laughs> go back to the. Go back to the to the key you may build great cathedrals large or small oh wait there it is up the screen thank you okay this helps us okay spread out I'm claustrophobic (laughs) is there anyone in this choir that knows this song do you remember this okay we're gonna learn it we're gonna learn it right now okay okay Sing it, Duffy. (laughs) You may build great cathedrals, large or small. You may build skyscrapers. Hey, does this work here? Does this microphone work here? Okay, try the verse again. Try the again. Let's try it. Let's try it. You may build, say, great cathedrals, large or small. You may build scrapers, great and tall. You may conquer all your failures of your past. 
only what you do, but only what you do for Christ will last. Come on, do that one more time. You may be able to say, you may be able to say, large or small, you may Of your past, but only what you do for Christ will last. Here's the course. What's the course? What you do for Christ will last. It's a choir part. What you do for Christ will last. That's good. In the end, only what you do for Christ. Do that one more. With last. Only what, what you do for Christ will last. So only what you do for Christ will Put your hands together, everybody. Let's do this. Oh, remember what you do for Christ will last. Oh, only what you do for Christ will last. Only what you do for Him will be counted in the end. Only what you do for Christ will last thank you Uncle Scott I suppose that the benefit of history is that we could see the greater picture of what has been. History ought to lead us. There are no comparable teachers like it. It takes... 365 and one-fourth days for the earth to rotate around the sun. It takes the same amount of rotations for one singular day. And every four years we add one day, February 29th, to our calendars to make up for the four quarters that has been added, we then have our leap year. The average span of life in the United States incredibly has declined. 
We've lost about 1.6 years of living as a whole. This has happened even while medical research and medicine itself has increased and become more proficient. We are in a slow decline of life. Some of it has to do with addictions, the mounting addictions and the effects of that. Some of it has to do with the climbing rates of suicide and then accidents that occur now more frequently, even though there are more safety features. But among all of those, the stress level and its effect on the human body has risen dramatically, so says medical researchers, and that in itself has become the great detriment of our communities. Our time around the sun, that 365 and one-fourth rotation is limited. That's a fact. Time is the one commodity that you cannot replace. You can't buy it. You can't wish it upon yourself. Oil of Olay won't bring you there. Even the morning that you experience today will never come again. That's over. And I'm led by the Holy Spirit to say to all of us, only what you do for Christ will last. I've read the book of Kings many times. I know about all of those successful and mostly failing monarchs. Many of them filled with contempt for the word of the Lord, the law of the Lord and his prophets. So many of them spent their days building idols of stone and wood. They lavished upon themselves the trappings of the palace life. But pressed in between the historical account, we just read a couple of verses, is a short life of an amazing young man. His name is Josiah. He's eight years old when he becomes the king of Judah. His father, Ammon, was so evil that even his own officials hated him. Everyone hated him. In fact, Josiah only became king of Judah because Ammon, his father, was assassinated by his own attendants and servants and officials, and they did it in the comfort of his own quarters. I've dissected every king from head to toe a few dozen times. Their lives are the lessons for the ages. But early this morning, the Lord woke me up and led me to the first few words of 2 Kings 22. Josiah was eight years old, this young boy. He's the king. He reigns in Jerusalem for 31 years. Josiah lived and he died. He was 39 years old. After all the wonderful things that he did, and there were many, the Bible says that a pharaoh named Necho came from Egypt up through the Euphrates River to make war, and Josiah led his army out to meet him, and in the valley of Megiddo, Josiah took his last breath. He died there. His time around the sun was brief. But his love for God and for the things of the Lord made a ripple so strong that even today we know his name and we are learning about his deeds in this moment. Eight-year-olds might be smart and have great potential, but few are equipped to do such mighty works. It took Josiah 18 years to learn, to gather himself, to get his feet underneath him, as it were. 18 years to establish himself 
And when he did, at the age of 26, he decided to restore the broken down temple because it took that long for him to understand the value of things. Josiah led the charge to reinstitute the holy treasures and things of Jehovah. The doors were repaired. The hinges that had been bent, they were replaced. The gold that some of it stripped had been repaired now, beaten gold. The gold overlay was put back in its place in every measure. The piles of scrolls laying there covered with dust, untouched and unloved, were then cleaned and given care. And in the middle of it all, as they worked, Hilkiah, whom Josiah had appointed, Hilkiah found the book of the law. It was inside of the temple the whole time. No one knew where it was. They uncovered it, and when they uncovered it and found it, they also uncovered understanding and truth. It took time for all this to take place. Some have said, some scholars have written that it could have been up to three years in the restoration process. And at the reading of the book of the law, when they found it, Josiah tore his clothes, his royal robe, and he cried out to God. Then when he got done tearing his own clothes, he tore down idols everywhere in the land, smashed the sacred stones. He cut down Asherah poles and ground them into powder, 2 Kings twenty-three fifteen. He dug up graves of false prophets and burned their bones, priests who had once offered sacrifices to the false gods who defiled the altars of the Lord. He removed them from their resting place, their graves. He broke their bones, scattered them like trash around the countryside. He took their tombstones and hammered them into pieces. And it was all, when it was all done, Josiah had a, maybe now 10 years left. But he didn't know it. His window was closing fast. His time around the sun was closing while he was moving on. It all goes so fast. Jehaz came after him. That next king, he did evil in the sight of the Lord. But in his time, Josiah, in that small moment there, he made a difference in the lives of the people. And Jerusalem remembered the righteous acts of his administration. Josiah calls for us to live a life of integrity. He called for men around him that had integrity. His message for people to stand up with integrity and honesty to come forward. He did that in his own time. They came forward in his time. He He's gathering up funds to restore the temple. He called for skilled craftsmen. They joined him. He raised up an army to defy the enemies of the Lord. He restored the temple. He found the book of the Lord and they, the law and they obeyed it. But in all those things, there was no promise that he would live a long life. The fact is that he died young because no one is promised time. You're just promised an opportunity to do something for the Lord. You're given a window. You're not given forever. Eliphaz probably said too much. I'm sure he did. I'm not a fan of Job's so-called friends. And I'm not sure that they all helped him. But there is some words of wisdom in the writing of Job 15, 
that Eliphaz said, he said, let not him that is deceived trust in vanity, for vanity shall be his recompense. I'll read it in another version. Let him not be deceived. Don't deceive himself by trusting what is worthless, for he will get nothing in return. Solomon came to this knowledge. That's why he opened up his book of Ecclesiastes with these words, vanity, vanity, all is vanity, saith the preacher. Vanity is all preacher. Meaningless, meaningless, says the teacher. Utterly everything is meaningless. What does man gain from all of his labor at which he toils under the sun? He saw it finally after all that he had gained. Solomon, no one was like him, the unrivaled king of wealth and wisdom. His storehouses overflowed with wealth, gold, jewels. His architectural design stood magnificent. Even the queen of Sheba, when she came, she said, I heard about all of this, but I did not believe it, so I had to come to see it for myself. She said, so much was said, your reputation, Solomon, and this land. And she said, behold, the half was not told to me. Thy wisdom and prosperity exceedeth the fame which I heard. And she fainted at it but in the end Solomon shook himself and said none of these things are really worth anything because only what we lay up in heaven will ever really matter the kingdom of Solomon is gone hear me today it's laid to waste in ruins in a land far from here dust has covered it up and it has crumbled and decayed James said in his book his self-titled book, he said, now listen, you who say today or tomorrow we will go to do this or to that city, spend a year there, carry on business and make money. Why do you not even know what will happen tomorrow? What is your life? It's a vapor. You're a mist that appears for a little moment, a moment and vanishes away. So instead of making big proclamations, you ought to say, if it's the Lord's will, we got to do what the Lord wants us to do. We got to do what God wants to do. You're a vapor. I've got to see these days for what they really are. So I'm going to plant some seed. I'm going to cultivate that seed. I hope to nurture that seed into a harvest. I want to seek a harvest because the clock is not going to consider my intentions. The season is not going to suspend its cycle just because I am diverted from the cause of Jesus Christ. I don't have time for a midlife crisis. I also don't have the money for it either. Some guys that feel like they missed out on something, they, somewhere in this age, they hit this age, they feel like I've got to go buy something and make up for what I've lost. And then they're in big debt and they got stuff later on they don't even know what to do with. I don't, I want to tell, I don't have time for it. I don't have time for misdirected pursuits that amount to nothing. And I confess that these words are hard to comprehend when you are young. I know that I had a tough time. I barely could could understand them. I'd like, to, I'd like to say that I knew, but I didn't really know. But I, if you're somewhat younger than me, you ought to know that time is limited. You have a small window of opportunity to do something great for God. The window will close fast. You don't know how fast that window can close. I don't have time for that. I don't have time to wallow. Sometimes I'd like to wallow in some self-pity, but I don't have time for that. I cannot hesitate even when I'm wounded. And yes, I have been wounded by the very people that I thought that I was helping and loved. Of course, the irony of those commentaries about people who've been hurt by the preacher and hurt by the church, I know the other side. But if I quit what I'm doing every time I'm cut, then my days will be filled with sorrow and not purpose. 
He called me to do a work for Him. He called us to have a church and to build a place for people. I've taken some clues from His Word. The night cometh when no man can work. The night cometh. Even Jesus said, I cannot work when it's night. There is a work to do and it's not my work. But it is the work of Him that sent us and called us. Hear me this morning. David called the man a fool who says there is no God. He wrote that in the psalm. Solomon called the man a fool who decides to have an adulterous affair. Thou fool. But Jesus said that God calls a man a fool who thinks that his days around the sun will never end. God said, you spent your life building barns and, and, and houses and gathering things and harvesting. You didn't care for the only thing that ever mattered. And I quote, but God said unto him, thou fool, this night thy soul shall be required of thee. Then whose shall those things be which thou hast provided? So he that layeth up treasure for himself is going to go to somebody else. It's not going to serve you in the next life. So when I peel back all the peripherals and I stand before you, I got a little soberness about me this morning. Only what you're going to do for Jesus Christ is going to last and everything else is going to burn up and fade away. All the degrees and all the vacations and all the stuff and all the cars and all the clothes and all the houses and all the land and all the things you think are so wonderful and powerful and make you somebody and you find yourself worth in those items. I'm standing up here to declare only what you do for Jesus is going to last your days around the sun are numbered I want to tell you please hear pastor today you don't have time to be offended I know you're going to be offended but don't take time on that offense don't take time to wallow in that don't stop living for God because you got hurt or because someone said something bad about you it'll always be that way and if the devil can keep you from serving the Lord by being offended he'll constantly put people in your path that will offend you and they'll offend you right out of the will of God they'll offend you right out of worship they'll offend you right out of salvation they'll offend you right out of singing they'll get you so offended you won't clap at you won't worship and you won't praise and you won't give you don't have time you don't have time to stop you don't have time you don't have time to quit don't ever stop and walk backwards I can remember standing in that parking lot I remember that man I remember a couple of the ladies and one of the gentlemen came outside and they tried to woo this man back in they tried to tell him you gotta serve the Lord I'll never forget what Dean said Dean looked out the window he rolled the window down and stuck his big elbow out and said I'd like to just step back for a moment I think I'm just gonna reconsider the church I'm gonna reconsider what I'm doing I want to step away for a little while and maybe I'll come back I will tell you he never came back why because he didn't have time to reconsider you don't have time to reconsider thou fool you're working all this time but who is going to get that stuff where you're going I say today you got to get in you got to get in you got to love it you got to embrace it Sure, I understand that a man says that there's no God. That's what the Bible said. You're a fool. You're a fool that says there's no God. What are you thinking about? Look up in the skies. Look at the intricacies of the body. Dissect the human cell. Try to figure out how eyeballs mutated and evolved. It's impossible for an eyeball to mutate and evolve. If you'll just look around at the world, science says there's a God. The heavens say there's a God. The galaxies say there's a God. You didn't come here by chance, but he put you here and he spoke you into existence. 
and you're gonna you're gonna believe people that says there's no God. I'm gonna tell you, America ought to get back to just saying there is a God because he that cometh to God must first believe that he is, and he is a rewarder of them that diligently seek him. The first step in your life with God is to believe you are. I'll tell you what will solve a lot of problems. You open up your Bible and don't even read the first chapter. Just don't even read the first ten verses. Just read the first few verses, few words. In the beginning, God. And before you do anything, you say in the beginning, God. And before you decide to make an investment, you say in the beginning, God. And before you pay, you cash your paycheck, you say in the beginning, God. And before you call the ambulance and the doctor, you say in the beginning, God. And before you decide to figure out how to heal your family, you say in the beginning, God. And before you decide to do something else, you say in the beginning, God. And when you wake up in the morning on Sunday, you say in the beginning, God. I'm going to tell you how to get America back. I'll tell you how to get the church back. Put God in the beginning. My days are numbered. I'm running. I'm running. Tim O'Brien sang the song of my life. I, I was going to show him singing the song, but I figured that once I said his name and the title, you would just Google it while I'm preaching. Please don't do that. He said, whatever happened to me, <laughs> my face in the mirror looks the same each day. It's hard to see the changes when you see time that way. What? I can play basketball. What? Roman said, we're going to Rose Holman, Dad. Some of the guys are going to play basketball. Rankin said, I'm so glad I got my new basketball shoes. Okay. For which we had to take out a home equity line of credit for. <laughs> I said, you know, I think I want to come play with you guys. <laughs> Reagan's a little more overt. Roman looked back around me and looked at mom. <laughs> I ran upstairs, got my gym clothes on, pulled out my high top basketball shoes. Those are Air Jordans. They cost $115 11 years ago. <laughs> Barely used. You wouldn't even know that they're, that they're older except some of the plastic has started to yellow around the top. It blends in. It's Michael Jordan for crying out loud. It's Air Jordans. And they said, Dad, you can't come with us. And you can't wear those shoes. Because, you know, half of the game is about how you look. <laughs> and I said, these are very nice 
Michael Jordan shoes and they're beautiful <laughs> and I'm coming and they begged me not to go <laughs> but I went and I I used to go and not know that I went I used to play and not remember that I played what what are you talking about what is that nerve that is speaking to me the next day? <laughs> because in my brain, Scotty, we are athletes. <laughs> in my mind. <laughs> We can do what we've always done. I'm not a step. I'm, I'm only one small step away from graduation. Pick any of them. Happened three times. Pick them, whatever one you want. I'm just one step away. But my body is telling me something different. Now, if you eat something before you eat it, you make sure you got the Pepsi AC ready. Before you go play basketball, you go ahead and make sure there's an open room at regional. Are you sick? Not yet. Are you hurt? Not yet. But I'm going to go play ball. Mm-hmm. The time around the sun, it's going like that, fast, 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 just wiped out, fast, 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 fast. And 19 years is going like this, boom, and I'm on the 20th year, boom, it's going to be gone. It's fast, it's fast, and fast, everything's going. And we're building things right now that we'll even enjoy, we won't even enjoy. It's, it's not even for us, it's for someone else, it's, it's going. And all the stuff we're doing right now, it's, it's got to be for someone else. And I can't work just for where I'm at right now, I've got to do something for someone else because my time is going, your time is going. You've got a window to do something for God right now. I watched I watch the, watch the entire documentary again and just the Lord... Just provoked me, so I got it out and watched the entire documentary, documentary again of Glenn Campbell, the most profound country singer, country writer. He just, he rewrote the way that country music was propelled on, on live television. I'm, I, I'm not even, I should say that, I used to say I'm not a fan of country music, but I love so much of it that I, I probably am a fan of that too. By the time I get to Georgia, she'll be calling. I thought I'd just pause here about five minutes and sing all the Glen Campbell songs I know, like a rhinestone cowboy. <laughs> He's sitting there with those white polyester pants on, the stretchy kind. They fit in every season. He's got his cowboy boots and his Fender guitar on his lap, and man, that guy has a jawline that the Duke would like to have himself. He is singing, he's moving the crowd. 
And even the modern country singers are saying now, we've forgotten our heritage and they're trying to re reinstitute his lyrics. Incredible. His two grown children are phenomenal. One is a great guitar player. The other one is a great songwriter. The last song that he sang, it's called, I'm Not Gonna Miss You. The first time I watched it on YouTube, I cried because he's singing about his Alzheimer's condition. He's not going to remember. He's not, when he crossed over, he wasn't going to remember all the love. He's not going to cry for what he missed because he won't remember who you are. The window was closing. And his beautiful daughter is helping him write the song and they're helping him sing it. He can't hardly utter the words. His fingers don't work anymore. Eric Clapton's fingers are all kind of messed up now. He's having a tough time playing the guitar. Eric Clapton, who wrote phenomenal songs when his young son fell off the balcony and died and Eric Clapton took up a pen and the only way to help heal himself, he wrote the song Tears in Heaven. When on my beautiful friend Steve Richardson, who, who could use all of his fingers in ways that even musicians now can't even operate the piano, he didn't play the piano, he commanded it. And he could, he could play complex chords and move through. He would write cantatas and music cantatas based around how he can make the music flow. And he did it in the North Campus when we had church. He did it and many people didn't even understand the master pianist that he was, the songwriter that he was. And when Ernie Haas picks up a microphone and starts singing Steve's songs, they weep and cry because they know there's very few songwriters like that. But at the end of his life... His fingers locked up. His diabetes just started to eat up all kinds of things in his body and he could only move a couple of those fingers. He tried to stretch them out and I said, Steve, come play the piano. He said, I can only, I can only use two fingers on this hand and three on that. Of course, that was better than most people can use if they have all ten fingers and toes on the piano. That window was closed and it was rapidly coming down. You don't think that it's going to be. Our, our dear friend Galen Allen, we were young, Tammy. We loved brother and sister Allen. We were young. We were learning so much from them. Westlake, Louisiana. We thought so highly of him. Brother Allen went to the mall to buy a shirt and a tie for Sunday services. He took one step off of the sidewalk, collapsed to his knees. He took his last breath, had a heart attack, a major heart attack, and died right there in front of the mall with a shirt and a tie in his hands on his way to get dressed because he wanted to have a nice shirt and tie for church, 51 years old. He was powerful and anointed. His church was stable and secure. People loved him. He was a leader among men. He loved the evangelists. I never went anywhere and saw him when he didn't slip a couple dollars in my pocket. He was always making sure that all the young evangelists were taken care of. He supported everything. He fixed up old computers in his home. His little loft had all these computer parts. He did it for fun. He taught countless Bible studies to people. He reasoned with people. He loved them. He cried over them. He liked to invest in the futures market. He did pretty well in the futures market. He was a preacher's preacher. He was a lover of people. But his days around the sun came to a close and I cannot think but that he had no idea how much time he had left on this earth. 
And maybe that's why the psalmist wrote, so teach us to number our days that we may apply, apply, apply our hearts under wisdom, apply. Teach us to number our days so we can apply. Hear me, don't waste your time, your days. You can get another suit. There'll be another pair of shoes. The car will be replaced. You can make more money. Stuff is going to be obtained, but time is racing and the earth is spinning and our lives and our days matter right now today. Today, your days around the sun are closing. That 365 and a quarter is going to be over. And before you blink your eye, it'll be over. And before you blink your eye, you'll turn another year and another year. And I'll be standing here this time next year. And we'll wonder where the time went. Diane, our lovely friend, had 31 years on this planet. She was the ultimate peacemaker. She was a leader. She was pure. Oh, she had to balance some of her family's self-righteous spirit, critical spirit. She balanced it between that and her honor, the honor for her pastor. She did it with grace. Ovarian cancer took its toll on her life, but the last few days of her life were spent on her couch. The last time I, I put my arms around her, I could just feel only bones she was on her couch laying down singing the songs that we all love to sing at church. Her niece was at the piano, a little upright piano over by the wall playing the songs and Diane was singing along with them. Her little cotton top little girl played on the floor next to her before she passed away. I say to you, don't waste your days just because you think you have another day. That doesn't mean it's so. Don't buy into the lie that whoever gets the most stuff wins. How can I preach this to a society who is taught that materials make a person successful? I got to tell you, they don't make you successful. I don't care what kind of car you're driving. I don't care what kind of suit or tie. I don't care what kind of house you live in. And don't get self-righteous just because you don't have it. And think that just because I don't have it, I'm better. Forget all that stuff. You got to serve God. You got to love God. You got to serve Him before the window closes. I'm standing here because I have a soberness about me because I'm looking out at people and some of us are floundering in this place because we think we got time and we get, and we get confused and we get diverted and distracted by things that never matter. And they consume us. Cherie, our friend Cherie was a witness. She was a powerful witness to her sister. She was 15 years old. She was converting her older sister to the truth. She was in the process of bringing her older sister to the, what we call the way. Or as Paul said, the way that you, what you call heresy, we call the way. <laughs> Cherie was sweet, always praying. She had a wonderful prayer life. In those days, she was leading in prayer. She was leading some of the youth group in prayer. No one in her family supported her coming to church. She was a Pentecostal by choice, not by tradition. I hope you're hearing what I'm preaching today. There's so many things in what I've just said all through this, all through this word. You ought to grip your heart. You ought to say it doesn't matter if my husband, my wife, my children, my dad, my mom, my kids, I'm gonna be there. I'm gonna make a choice. Her older sister needed some money, so she started to strip in a club. She took to stripping, and Cherie said, my sister's not happy. 
She knows what she's doing is wrong. She's disgusted with herself. She said, I'm going to teach her a Bible study. I don't know a whole lot about what Cherie said, but they decided to take a little trip down to Georgia, just the two of them. They drove that broken down convertible. And that day, a drunk driver in a white utility van, in the middle of the day, he came out of the bar Drunk got in his big utility truck. It went off the road. It went down into the median, then came back up across, and then ran into the back of those two girls, and it folded that rusted-out convertible like an accordion. Gone in a moment. Two of them, I stepped off the plane, went to the funeral, walked into the funeral home, looked at our youth group and said, Only what we do for Christ will last. 15 years old and her sister 19 years old hear me I want to be a witness to the day I take my last breath I want to be building something for the Lord the day that my time around the sun is over I want to be somewhere in the church I hope I got a broom in my hand or a Bible chart. Maybe I'll have a Thanksgiving basket. I want to have something in my hand that means something to the kingdom and not something to myself when the Lord comes back for me. Either when I take my last breath or I hear the trumpet sound. Hear me, ladies and gentlemen. You've got a narrow window. You've got a time. And only what you do for Jesus Christ is going to last. And everything else is going to be laid to waste. I hope I'm in a prayer meeting when the Lord comes back. I hope I'm at church when the Lord comes back. I hope I'm in the altar when the Lord comes back. I hope when my time is over and my days are numbers, if he doesn't come back, I hope I have something in my hand that is significant to his call. I don't want to come to church just to find out where everybody else is going to eat. I don't want to come to church just to find out what everybody else is doing. I don't want to sit anywhere in the church and just so I can have a good eye view about what someone else is wearing or what they're doing or if they're paying attention. I want to come to church because I got my eyes on Jesus because I know my days are numbered and I've got to apply myself. Somebody said to me one time, they said, Pastor, you're teaching this gospel. People need to be baptized. And you're, praying, you're, you're saying that everybody needs to repent. You're, you're saying this scripture that, that unless we're born again of the water and spirit, that we can't go to heaven. What about all the people that are not, that don't do that? And I said, listen, God is the great judge. I'm not the judge. But my job will never be over. It only means I've got more to do. And I said, the church may not always be able to provide finances so I could live, but I'll never be out of work. We don't even know where this economy is going. All of us could lose everything in a moment. We're just a hurricane away. We're just an EMP away. Just, we're just a little bit away. We're a little switch in the IMF away where our monetary funds are not going to be transferred and everybody can lose everything. But we're never going to be out of the church because we're not contingent upon what we have. Our love for the gospel and the church and the word is not about what I've got. It's spinning. It's spinning. It's revolving. You got a little bit of time. You got a little bit of time. Hear me. 
There's a few of you in this house that have a little bit of time to shout and run around this church. Because the day's going to close on you and your knees are not going to work and your hips are going to be out of joint. And you're going to remember, hey, I did have some strength, but you didn't do it because you thought I got tomorrow. I'll do it tonight. I'll do it next week. I'll worship God. I'll jump up and down. But there's going to come a day when you won't be able to do that. Some of you can make a great sacrifice to the Lord. You can make a great love offering to God. Oh, it's about money. Well, I'm gonna, no, it's not about money. It's about your sacrifice. You can make a powerful sacrifice, but there'll come a day that, that'll get eaten up on things you didn't even expect because the medical bill won't be covered. And so what they'll do is they'll take the rest of your bank account that you could have given to God, but you hoarded it because you didn't apply it because you said, I got time. There'll be a day. It's coming. When you'll join the choir. I'm not going to miss you. And you won't remember. That you even knew us. And you'll look right in the face. Of your own family. And ask them. Now who are you? But today, today, I read this last verse. I'm reading from the New International Version. It's Romans chapter 8. In the King James, it says, Reckon. reckon which proves <laughs> Paul had a little country in him if you're from the south and you're about to do something you say we're fixing go to the mall Paul said I reckon he said I consider that our present sufferings are not worth comparing with the glory that will be revealed in us. What? I considered that all the stuff, the pain and the trial that I'm going through right now it can't even be compared. When I pull back the curtain, loneliness and rejection and the abuse and all the pain of this life. And if you added it all up, all of our cumulative pain, every bit of it up, it even wouldn't amount to the drop that the wide glory, this ocean. He didn't stop there. For creation waits in eager expectation. All of the world is waiting. Things inanimate and otherwise for the sons of God to be revealed. For the creation was subjected to frustration. Not by its own choice. But by the will of the one who subjected it. All of the world spun out of 
the lions did not have the innate desire for blood. The predators were not predators prior to the disobedience of Adam. Are you understanding this? In hope that the creation itself will be liberated from its bondage to decay and brought into the glorious freedom of the children of God, we know that the whole creation has been groaning as in pains of childbirth right up to this present time. Not only so, but we ourselves. It's not the only ones, but we ourselves who have the fruits, first fruits of the Spirit grown inwardly as we wait eagerly for our adoption as sons, the redemption of our bodies. I'm going to tell you right now, you have never seen a great life until you get in that city 1,200 square miles by 1,200 square miles by 1,200 square miles by 1,200 square miles, the cube, which is the borders of heaven whose foundations have the names of the 12 apostles written upon them, whose walls are filled with jasper, whose streets are paved with transparent gold, whose door of entrance is carved out of one single pearl, who from the throne emanates a river of life flowing through that magnificent city called the Lamb, the city of the Lamb, where the Lamb of God sits on the throne and where we gather around that throne and take the crowns, our newly found crowns, and cast them at his feet. And for 10,000 upon 10,000 years, all of us sing a song and chorus to magnify God. You've never seen anything until you got the glorified body where there's no sickness and pain and shame and heartache and abuse and no, no months with no money and no, no family around you that, that hurts you and no bosses that, that, that provoke you and no deathbeds and no graves when you get to that city I'm going to tell you right now it's a glorious freedom all of creation is groaning for it even ourselves hear me your time is spinning it's spinning it's spinning it's spinning around this earth and I would say to you I provoke you today get up and do something for God don't just come to church but do something for the kingdom put something to your hands apply know that your days are numbered and your days are closing in and your days around this sun are not not going to last forever. Come stand with me now. Two roads diverge in the yellow wood. And sorry I could not travel both. And be one traveler long I stood and looked down as far as I could to where it bent in the undergrowth. Then took the other as just as fair and perhaps having the better claim because it was grassy and wanted where, though as for that, the passing there had really warned them about the same. And both that morning equally lay and no step had trodden black. Oh, I kept the first for another day. Knowing how way leads on to way, I doubted if I should ever come back. I shall be telling this with a sigh, somewhere ages and ages hence. Two roads diverged in a wood, and I, 
I took the one less traveled by. And that has made all the difference. I don't know how much time I have left to preach. But I promise you I'm going to be a I'm going to be a sparkler. I'm going to burn out every service. I won't hold anything back. The sermon may not be good. But my body won't know it. I promise to worship God and love the Lord. Every one of those 365 and one quarter days. Because one of those days is going to be the end day and the Bible says it's appointed unto man once to die. You have an appointment. You'll keep. It'll be involuntary. I'm preaching to people who are dying right now. You're dying. There's only one thing that matters in your life. What matters is not what you drive home or where you go out to dinner. What matters is not the nice thing you just bought for your home. What matters, hear me, I want you to have a good education. I hope you have an IRA. What matters is not any of that stuff. Because when it's all said and done with elder. What matters is that even when your sweet wife passed she couldn't recover they never spent a night of their all those years away from one another what matters is that we love the Lord what matters is when I walked into that room and there Sister Heist lay and all the doctors left nobody was there they unplugged all the machines and I stood just like this with Brother Heiss. And he prayed the prayer. Amen. Here's the prayer he prayed. Thank you, Lord. For the many wonderful years that you gave my wife to me. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. She was always faithful to me, Lord. I didn't deserve her, but she was always faithful. Thank you, Lord. She was a good mother. Thank you, Lord, for your blessing. <laughs> and he said, thank you for my pastor. Thank you, Lord. You've got to help him, Lord. Yes. Brother Heist prayed prayer of gratefulness and thankfulness. Sorrow was there, but attending that sorrow was the confidence of Jesus Christ. I'm going to tell you what really matters. What really matters is the 92-year-old elder of this church always knows where his seat is. And he's holding up this house I want to tell you I got, I got to tell you you ought to wish to God 
you could be like him. That no matter what comes, sickness or heartache or death or age, you made a commitment. You made a commitment. I'm, 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 I'm just about through. Watch this now. I'm going to stand here. I'm going to stand right here. Like I did for Brother Bollinger. I'm going to stand right here. I got a great poem from Brother Bollinger. I highlighted in my book that he wrote poems I meant to bring it today and read it to you but I'll, I'll, I'll put it in the bulletin I'm going to stand right here by you and your days around this sun are going to be over that day and whatever Bolling, Brother Bollinger whatever he did in his life whatever good that he did the book has now closed not another day now sure the investments have gone on the investments in the kingdom the investments in the church but those days are over and so your day will come and I ask you what shall be said of you what are you doing for the kingdom we got to do something for the kingdom what's in your hand what's in your hand because only what you do for Jesus is going to last. Come on, just put your hand out now and say, Lord, fill my hand. Help me to fill my hand with kingdom work. <clears throat> fill my hand with kingdom work. Somebody needs to make a commitment right now to the Lord. It's a personal commitment. Today is, is the last day for you to wander aimlessly this is the day you're making some commitment to Jesus Christ because you recognize that nothing else is going to matter oh. There's five minutes and then we'll go home. Five more minutes, we'll go home. Five minutes. Whatever you feel like you need to do right now, I want you to do it. Whatever prayer you need to pray, whatever person you need to grab a hold of, whatever commitment you need to make, here's five minutes. It'll last, make it last the rest of your life.